All right, everyone, we're going to get started. Thanks for joining. Um, I do have some updates to give, but I think I'll just get straight into the questions. And if I ever run out of questions, I can start talking about the other things. So let's get right into it. First question is from Dioforce. Did the team update anything to hopefully ensure we aren't left with our dick in our hand next time centralized exchange data is unavailable during periods of high volume? So yes, we actually did make a pretty major change. Um, it is a change, sort of, but it's only useful when there are um, depegging events like the one we saw with USDC. Otherwise, this is wholly unnecessary, like right now, um, now that USDC has fully repegged, it is an unnecessary mechanism. But yeah, we did make adjustments so that we are able to um, continue trading, market making um, during those kinds of incidents. So to be specific, what we did um, actually, so some people might ask, why don't you just use the USDC, USD Oracle that PIF provides? And the answer is we actually tried using this Oracle a long time ago, back when we launched our stable pools for those who were around for that. Um, that was when uh, we, we launched the uh, USDC, USDT pool. And we're, we're actually like making... Uh, if I remember correctly, 20% APR just from trading fees, which is like insane from a, it's insane for a uh, stable pool. Uh, I don't think any other pool has that kind of, um, that kind, that kind of revenue. <laughs> the reason we were able to do that was because we used a novel mechanism where we observed like the currently best offered price and then quoted just below that so that we would basically capture 50% of all uh, stable volume and that's why we were able to capture so much fees but anyways yeah for that we did not use the oracle at all um, it was just not useful we just simply quoted right below the the second best current market price being quoted <laughs> To simplify we have an article on that actually for those interested um unfortunately that became unviable because saber lowered their fees to near zero percent um <laughs> and uh as a result stable fees are still quite low across the board partially because of that which is unfortunate because it's uh it means lping for stables is just less profitable for people on solana it's like once you lower it, they just stay low. Sad. Oh well. Anyways, the Oracle was not useful, so we can't use that. So, but we have, yeah, we, we did come up with a new mechanism so that we can continue market making. And the way we do it is uh, we use as our starting price the on-chain market price, which is different than what we usually do. We start with the PIF price, but here we're not using the PIF price. So we start with the on-chain market price, and then we observe when the Oracle price moves. Um, because the Oracle price is the price on centralized exchanges, and that is where price discovery happens. So we just care about how much um, the price moved. Not We don't care about like the initial starting point of the price, uh, like we normally do. Because here we're using, again, the on-chain market price as the starting point. And then for the Oracle price, we just care how much price moves. And so then we adjust the on-chain market price by the amount that the Oracle price moved. So this will enable us to continue market making even when there are DPEGs. So yeah, in the future, we should be able to um, perform better or yeah. Um, I guess during the previous incident, we basically had no volume during that uh, DPEG. But uh, yeah, if there's a similar type of DPEG, then yeah, we should be able to generate volume, which is great. Uh, 
Although hopefully USDC does not depeg again. <laughs> that was kind of scary. All right. Next question, Dioforce, second question. Is the team incentivized outside of their allocation of Lefinity tokens? That is, does protocol-owned liquidity generate revenue for the team? Uh, no. Uh, the team members do have Lefinity tokens, and I lock them. I believe other team members... Yeah, I believe like most of the um, team allocation that has been unlocked has been locked for VE Lefinity. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I, I think that's true. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, in that sense, yes, the team gets some revenue that's generated by protocol and liquidity, but only in the same way that it's generated for other VE Lefinity holders. So... Um, like nothing special. Third question. Do you think it would be prudent to withdraw Tensor market making a few weeks after Flares bottom out? Presumably around five sole floor price. After loyal Flare holders have re-upped their bags? I think so. The Flare DAO's market making position suppresses floor price, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot to unpack here, I think. Uh, generally, my view is that we can't really predict price movements of the markets. I think markets are generally efficient, so um, it's hard for me to think that I or any other individual can predict when and where price is going. So... So, for example, you say that flares presumably should bottom at around five, five soul, which I don't think is like totally unreasonable. I think it's like an okay guess, but I could also see it going lower, and I could also see it going not as low. Um. And so how do we how do we know? <laughs> how do we know when, as you say, uh, when it will be that flares quote bottom out um, and then withdraw our market making a few weeks after that? Like uh, say like the the floor price goes to five soul and then a week later it's at six soul. Now, some people might think it's bottomed out. It's up only from here. And say this is like after May 16th when uh, all the locking is over with. But then, you know, it's totally possible that it goes down again from there. Or people were like, okay, I'm not willing to sell at five soul, but at six I am. And then more people who are like thinking the same thing pile on and they're like, oh shit, we're going down again. Maybe it's going to go below five. You know what? Actually, I changed my mind. I am willing to sell at five soul, <laughs> and uh, it goes lower. Like I, I'm just like making up a scenario, right? Like to me, it's totally conceivable, and so I just don't see how it's possible to know when things have bottomed or when they will bottom. Um, so yeah, my general um, perspective is that, like I, I consider myself to be ignorant of when things will bottom. And so from that perspective, at least, it's better to just keep your tensor market-making position, all else being equal, that is. Um, and then also the unlocking will be a time of volatility, probably, at least like con compared to other times, because suddenly more supply will hit the market. So I think it's reasonable to say that, like, uh, like at least compared to other times, it is st statistically more likely that price will go down. But then also, like, there's all these people who, like, know this and are looking to buy there. <laughs> they see it, like, as an opportunity. And uh, so I don't think, like, it'll be a 
permanent like price decreasing event where it just goes low and stays there. But again, you know, I don't know. But anyways, I think there's going to be a lot of volatility. And when there's a lot of volatility, that in, gen in general is good for market making. Uh, it's bad when the price direction is like unidirectional. If it just goes straight down or straight up, then you'd rather not be market making. But in this case, even that, I think it's not super obvious, which will be the case. Like imagine if the vast majority of the people who unlock are not interested in selling. So there's just like not that much selling. And then like all the people who are waiting to buy are like, huh, it's not going down. I guess I can't wait for it to go down to buy. So I'm just going to buy right now. And then like price goes up or something. I mean, obviously the opposite is also possible where price goes down and some people want to buy, but not so much that it counters all the selling pressure so that uh, in the end, compared to right now, price is lower. And that's also possible, of course. And so again, like in <laughs> and for this too, like I, I just think I I just don't know. And uh, but I I feel like it's not super likely that price shoots down or shoots up. I think it's unlikely that it shoots down because there is a um, floor in terms of the backing, like how much flare owned liquidity is each flare worth so that's like a concrete floor which last time we checked when we did the balance sheet update it was like 5.25 soul i think so now i am guessing it's probably a bit higher um so let's say it's like six soul um hypothetically so then it shouldn't go that much below six soul it could go lower because like not everyone is like reading announcements or like even thinking about things in terms of um, like concrete backing because that's not a common thing among NFTs. So yeah, definitely even in that case, still feasible for price to go below that. But if it does, uh, I'm pretty confident that like people are going to start snapping it up, be like, wow, it's below its backing. Uh, I'm going to buy that. <laughs> Like people have been talking about that in the Discord already, so, <laughs> so, so I, so I don't think it's likely to shoot down. I also don't think it's likely to shoot up because, um, like the bias is towards the downside, right? Because there, the the supply is going to increase on May sixteenth, so the bias is towards the downside. So I would be surprised if like price just shot up. So, anyways, <laughs> like. All that to say, anything seems possible and there will be volatility and therefore I think it makes the most sense to just um, keep the market making position and uh, see what happens. <laughs> That's my take. Uh, and then the last point you made regarding suppressing floor price, um, that is true in a sense. I think it's more true to say that it decreases price volatility we have to recognize that this is two-sided. Um, it increases volatility to the upside, which is the one you mentioned. It suppresses the floor price, as you put it, but it also uh, decreases volatility to the downside, which is the same as saying it supports floor price. <laughs> so it both supports and suppresses floor price. Um, so, um, when you consider that, I think it's net neutral. Um, it just decreases the volatility of price, which I don't really think is good or bad per se. Um, yeah, I guess it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Um, if you're a trader or a holder or a, I don't know, whatever, but um, yeah, I, I can see like both being useful for different types of um, investors. All right, Whew. that was a that was a long elaboration. All right, moving on to the next questioner, we have B Miner. Says been thinking about buying a flare for a long time. Watching the floor floor price slowly bleed out has me more interested than ever. A couple questions for the AMA. Are the flare holders still allowed to make governance proposals? It doesn't look like the last votes were ever followed through with. 
Is there a reason for that? Yeah, so the last vote, or you say votes, but I, th I believe it's just the last vote that has not been, quote, followed through with. This is a uh, complex topic and uh, kind of an unfortunate one in my view. <laughs> so here's the situation. Uh, one day, a member who is now banned from our Discord, known as WTB, White Turtle Bill, um, banned for reasons totally unrelated to this. He broke um, Discord rules knowingly. Uh, anyways, yeah, so he made this proposal as a joke, I might add, to burn 500 flares and no additional details given. Just burn 500 flares. And he created a uh, governance discussion channel. And uh, yeah, so the discussion went on for a bit. And then someone was like, are we going to vote on this? And I was like, well, if you want to vote on it, please write a proposal. And they did. And it was pretty bare bones. But they wrote it. So I put it up for a vote. And uh, let's see what happened next. Yeah, so I think with that vote, the uh, the outcome was pretty pretty heavily in favor of burning. Um, but then there was the question of, or like a lot of people, and mind you, usually when we do votes, and the the outcome is decided by the vote. Um, people do not generally do not like speak up after that. People generally accept it. I'm talking about historically. This is the way things have been. This is what I've observed of the Flare DAO. Like a vote is done, and then before the vote, there were definitely people who didn't like it discussing it, saying, I don't like it for this and that reason. But then after the vote, people just stop talking about it. They accept it. This was not really the case with this vote. And I think at least for some good reasons. Um, so one thing is that a lot of people tend to just press the first emoji in voting. So we do voting by um, clicking an, em an emoji in our Discord. And so people were uh, suspicious because this proposal fra was phrased as should we burn 500 flares and then the emoji were yes no and then a zipped mouth to indicate that you don't you don't have an opinion basically and uh, because the first emoji was a yes people were like it might be biased uh, in favor of that and so I did this test and you can read more about it. Like it's probably not <laughs> great to be um, trying to um, explain it in audio. It's easier to just like see it and have it explained there. I did a whole analysis on this. It's in the uh, our uh, announcements and votes channel in the flare holders section. Um, so you can read about it there. And then indeed we did find that there was a bias Basically, we like flipped the votes, did the no first, and then the yes later, and then um, the results were different than the initial one, even though it should be exactly the same, right? If people are paying attention. But yeah, people, not everyone is paying attention. However, the results did still indicate that the majority, I believe it was over two thirds, wanted to burn the flares, burn the 500 flares. Um, so I was like, well, okay, I guess that settles it. So I was, I, I was totally ready to burn. I was just gonna, you know, do it. Uh, but then, uh, back to that thing I was mentioning earlier, a lot of people were like, well, hold on. The proposal doesn't say how to execute the burn and when exactly and stuff like that. And, uh... So I was like, okay, I guess we can have a discussion about that. How exactly to do this burn, which we have decided on, but not all the details have been decided. 
And just to remind you, the original proposal, it was as a joke, and then it had absolutely no details about how to go about this burn. Um, so yeah, there. so then another governance discussion channel was created where people were talking about like how to do this, um, giving out ideas um, basically, people people want to make the most of this burn, right? If we just burn, and then like, like you know, for example, if we don't even announce it, we just do it on chain. Like that doesn't really accomplish anything. It's definitely not adding any value to flares. Um, it's not going to bring new people into the community. It's not going to make holders more bullish. It's not going to do anything. And this is what these people who um, who spoke out after the vote, um, I think that that was what they have in mind is like, okay. And so, some of them don't didn't even want to burn, right? Uh, and some of them did want to burn. Um, but regardless, they both want to make the most of this burn. Um, they want to, they want it to be an event that is a uh, net positive, has positive externalities. For the flare DAO, and not just like a, you know, an an event that goes unnoticed. And so that discussion was taking place, and there was a bunch of ideas thrown out. Um, I think a lot of them are interesting. Uh, eventually, the conversation kind of petered out, and uh, that's kind of where we are right now. Um. There were no like concrete proposals proposed um, or like turned into a proposal. Yes, yeah, so that's kind of where we are right now. And uh, to me, that's kind of an indication that most people actually don't care. <laughs> most people have not even participated in the discussions. Max like 20 people, probably less, more like 10. Um, and definitely only 10 who have, who have like, uh, like said more than one thing. <laughs> um, and then also like, you know, there hasn't been an outcry from the people in favor of burning being like, you know, why the hell haven't you executed on this uh, so, some people, I will say, did bring it up. Like, they're like, you know, the details don't matter. The vote said burn, just fucking do it, essentially. <laughs> Doesn't matter how it's done. The proposal said to do it, just do it. And, uh, you know, that kind of puts me in a hard place. I can just, like, go ahead and go go forward with it um, to abide by the letter of the law so to speak. But I feel like that would be a disservice to the Flare DAO. So yeah, I guess some people criticize me for that. But basically, you know, as as a team member, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to do what the Flare DAO wants to do. But it's that <laughs> that notion is very vague, right? what the Flare DAO wants to do, because not all its members are in agreement. And so I'm left with this difficult task of like interpreting it. And, uh, you know, some people might say, well, just like put all this voting on chain, then there's like no ambiguity. Uh, but I don't think it's that simple for one thing. Um, but also, if you do that, you lose a lot of nuance that I'm able to capture right now because of the way things are done. Um, this is something I've talked about at length elsewhere, like <laughs> the uh, pros and cons of different ways of voting. Um, but actually, this ties into your next question. Uh, I, I hope I answered your question. Your question was, is there a reason for why the proposal hasn't been executed? And to be honest, like, I'm totally happy to execute it. You know what? It would make my life so much easier if we just burned all these 
flares we bought back because then there's nothing to govern and then uh, I don't have to like deal with this all this complex um, governance shit <laughs> but I I'm trying to do again like I'm trying to do what the community wants and that is not always super straightforward but I'm trying my best to like listen to everyone and weigh things accordingly. For example, like I think people who are participating in the discussions should have more of a say than people who aren't, than people who are literally just clicking an emoji. Um, and like you can't you can't do that on chain, at least not yet. Right? There's no system that can do that like systematically. Um, yeah. Anyways. So your your follow-up question is, is there a plan to move voting on chain or is Discord going to continue to be the preferred method for Flare-related voting? This too, like, I'm okay with anything, to be honest. Like, in my opinion, the way we're doing things right now is optimal. It's definitely messy. It's super messy, but I think it it is the best because it is able to capture the most nuance um, but I mean, there's definitely pros to other methods. Like if you put everything on, on chain, it's simple, it's more clear, it's more straightforward. Um, but yeah, there's definitely cons too. Like there will definitely be less participation and, uh, not only because like people are lazy about doing things on chain, but also because people will know that, okay, now, and like <laughs> our, NFT project has a whale with 1,000 flares. <laughs> and so just knowing that, people will be like, well, fuck, my vote doesn't matter. And that'll make them even less incentivized to vote. So I think participation will crater. Um, and yeah, that's, that's one thing. But so anyways, like we can do other stuff. And in fact, like I'm talking with MetaHelix right now about getting... Um, flares integrated with them so that we can do on-chain voting easily. I think uh, they might be able to do it th through Discord, actually, which would be dope. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, their dev guy was like, I I'm, I'm, I'm having some in real life stuff going on right now, so I can't deal with it or whatever. I don't know. So I'm kind of waiting on them. Um, I'll have to send a reminder, but yeah, I was told that like three days ago, um, after waiting a week, after providing them with all the information they need to, uh, do whatever integration. So yeah, kind of still waiting on that, <clears throat> but yeah, if we, if we do get that integration, then like, well, at least we'll have more options. And like, I think you know, it'd be cool to also, like, even if we don't, like, choose, it doesn't have to be black and white, this or that. It can be both end. So, like, we can look at a, uh, a, uh, like, the, the Discord vote where it's, like, one person, one vote. And we can also look at the on-chain vote where it's, like, one flare, one vote. And, uh, look at the differences between those, which I think, um, can be valuable. God damn. I'm just riffing today. All right. So let's see. That's all the questions for there. So I'm just going to talk about some stuff after I take a sip, of course. Mmm, water. You got to love it. All right. So <clears throat> just a mini update. I was curious. So I uh, looked at our flare. LP position on Tensor to see what our uh, current profit is when accounting for impermanent loss. If you look at the figure on um, Tensor's site, it's like 60-something soul, but that's the market-making profit um, ignoring impermanent loss, which I think is an inferior figure. So if you include impermanent loss, our profit is currently 19.29 soul. So given the current soul price of approximately eight soul, 
that's like two and a half flares that we've uh that we've acquired or yeah i mean that's one that's one way to think about it you can think about it as 19 soul profit or two and a half extra flares bought back um yeah so doing all right nice okay next thing oh yeah keep your questions rolling in by the way uh, i'm just talking about things until you ask questions <laughs> all right so our i'm not sure if people have noticed but uh we are more consistently the uh second highest volume decks on jupiter these days uh we used to be in third place more um so i i just mentioned this uh, to point out that the team has been doing many optimizations for v2 in the background and uh, for those who have been around long enough you know that we previously have made an announcement where we're not going to be talking about the optimizations we make as much as we used to <clears throat> and the reason is for that the reason for that is basically to not leak alpha to other competitor dexes if and when they arise um so but yeah we we definitely are doing like tons of um uh, optimizations and uh, i think the uh, jupiter ranking is some evidence toward this that uh the thing about uh v2 is that it's much more flexible than v1 um v1 had fewer parameters that we could adjust and in fact they didn't really need much adjustment um so we didn't have to like play around with those numbers that much but v2 has more parameters to be optimized and yeah like i said is more flexible and so we're still like understanding more and more how it how exactly it works in different uh, market scenarios and uh yeah so we're getting better and better at optimizing that and adjusting it on the fly <clears throat> yeah okay let's see what next so there's that um there was a, I kind of talked about this earlier, about the uh, USDC price DPEG. And actually, until two days ago, there was still a slight divergence between the centralized exchange and decentralized exchange USDC price. And so we were using that um, mechanism I talked about earlier where we would use the on-chain market price and adjust it using the uh, the movement in the Oracle price. But yeah, that that has finally closed that gap two days ago. So we're back to the, uh, the default method that we used to use. And as a result, the pools are doing better both in terms of volume and market-making profit, um, which is great uh that we don't have to rely on this alternative method which works but is still like not as good as our default method so yeah good to be back with that method let's see yeah so then uh, there's the uh pith eth oracle issue uh, unfortunately it's not working super well both for v1 and v2 so we've considered running an oracle ourselves, which uh, we do for soul for example but we realized it might not be worth it for eth 
Um, Soul is generally more profitable and actually has like tons more pools than our single ETH pool or two, if you count the V1 and V2. Um, yeah, running an Oracle can be costly because um, if you do it the way Pith does it, you publish the price in every slot. That make that means you're making a transaction in every every like 400 milliseconds. And like fees are cheap on Solana, but if you're doing it in every slot, that can really add up. So given that ETH is like not hugely profitable, because it's not like a it doesn't have tons of volume on Solana. <clears throat> so we have considered a, a different method. <clears throat> um, we're basi basically, we publish only occasionally based on certain criteria. And then default to the PIF price. But then when certain conditions are met, um, publish our own price. So this makes it more cost effective and uh, yeah, improves the Oracle price. So that basically it, it helps us make better trades, avoid bad trades and do more good trades. <laughs> so yeah, that's another thing we've been working on uh, regarding Bonk. So we had to stop the uh, testing because there was some Bybit FUD on Twitter and you you kind of have to respect the FUD these days. Uh, Bybit is where we were shorting Bonk so that we were uh, delta neutral. <clears throat> um, yeah, so we withdrew funds from Bybit. And uh, yeah, so right now we're not sure. We're still we didn't we didn't finish testing, but from what we've done so far, it may be the case that. Price discovery is actually on-chain and not on centralized exchanges. In which case, we would have we would not have an advantage um, in using an oracle. And so a bonk pool would not be viable, unfortunately. This kind of makes sense for bonk because... Uh, like, uh, bonk... <laughs> bonk started off on-chain and it had like massive volume. And then only after that was it listed on centralized exchanges. And maybe it had tons of volume initially, but now that the hype has died down, it makes sense that, you know, people on centralized exchanges don't hear about it as much. So they have less reason to trade it. There's few people who are interested. Whereas on chain, um, like Bonk does rewards for certain pools and stuff. And uh, I don't know, liquidity might even be better on chain. I'm not sure. But yeah, for, for those kinds of reasons, it makes sense that Bonk price discovery is not really happening on centralized exchanges like many other tokens. But yeah, if that's the case, unfortunately, it wouldn't really be feasible for us. Uh, Bitcoin, the uh, wormhole-wrapped Bitcoin that fairly recently launched on Solana, I guess, and started gathering liquidity on-chain. Um, liquidity is still quite small, so we could open a pool. We could open a pool for sure, but um, it's not clear that the, uh, the revenue from it would be great. In fact, yeah, it'd be pretty small probably right now at least so yeah we're still kind of waiting for that to increase both liquidity and volume um gmt would be a good pool to go delta neutron but as far as we know there's still no good way to go delta neutral with it so that's unfortunate GMT pool is doing like really well. Even the V1 pool is like kicking ass. So V2 would do even better, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. So another 
thing we're trying to do with the V2 is trying to differentiate between changes in our pool balance that are due to price discovery, which is basically good, and those due to idiosyncratic events, which is essentially bad. If it's due to price discovery, it means that that price movement is sticky and price will stay there um, or continue to move in that direction. Whereas for idiosyncratic events, it's just like some on-chain on something that happened that caused the price to only temporarily diverge, but it will probably quickly revert. So if we can tell apart these events, then we can know um, when, so, so um, if there's large trades, whichever type they are, it'll put our pool out of balance. But if it's for price discovery, then it's good that our pool is pool our pool is out of balance. For example, if sole price is going up, we don't want our price to be our pool balance to be 50-50. It'd be better if it was 75 sole, 25 USDC, for example. Because then as price is going up, you have more of the more valuable asset. So you do well. But yeah, if it's if it's not because of price discovery, then uh, that could be an opportunity for you to get wrecked. Uh, the the opposite could happen, like holding more soul when soul price is going down, for example. So anyways, if we could tell the difference between those two, that can inform us about how and when and how aggressively we should uh, rebalance our pools. Um. Yeah, let's see. So yeah, I mean the uh, the the overall idea, I guess, <laughs> of a lot of what I've been talking about here is that our market making logic is becoming incre increasingly sophisticated, um, and uh, that's partially due to the flexibility of V two, the fact that more optimizations are possible than were with v1 and uh, i know we don't talk about these much and again that's for a reason but yeah just know that we are continuing to continuing to make optimizations and uh yeah you can at least partially see that by our ranking on jupiter a better indicator would be like what's our total volume share of all the volume on Solana, but I don't know of any website that aggregates that data. Yeah, that'd be cool to see. Yeah, seems like a no-brainer. <laughs> like, uh, I wish like SoulScan or SoulScan or another Explorer or like dune dashboards make a dune dashboard for it or something like that yeah although even that wouldn't be perfect because like uh we don't have pools for every token so like the most simple comparison i guess would be our soul volume versus orca's soul volume Actually, no, no, even, yeah, I guess you'd have to narrow it even more because they have weird soul pools like soul bonk. Uh, so I guess the the right comparison would be our soul USDC pools versus their soul USDC pools. <laughs> Anyways, we have a question, so I'm going to move on to that after I take a sip. Uh, all right, the prominent asks, other than... SD Soul UXD, ETH USDC pools, which have 0.08% fee, and Ray USDC, Serum USDC, and GMT USDC pools, which have a 0.12% fee. Most of our pools are at 0.05% fee. Is this because of most Orca pools are at 0.05%? Um are most orca pools at 0.05%? I don't think it's I mean like our decision making for that is definitely not that simple. It's not like okay, look 
at whatever Orca has and then copy it. <laughs> um, like our Soul USDC, for example, definitely changes over time depending on like the current market environment. Um, our other pools are probably more stable because their market environment, so to speak, doesn't change as much. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what to say beyond that. Like, uh, we look at other similar pools and their fees and how much volume they are capturing and how much total volume there is and uh, determine whether we think we can capture more or I should say when we do capture more by lowering our fee does that actually increase our volume enough such that it net increases our revenue um, because if you lower your fee you get more volume but if that volume doesn't compensate for the smaller fees that you're getting then it's not worth it so yeah, that's basically the way we think about it. Maximize revenue. Yeah, and also, uh, I mean, like I said, it depends on like the market environment. This includes both how volatile the markets are and also like how other market makers are behaving both on OpenBook, but also on Orca. Uh, I think more and more people are, or there are like professional level, or I should say, you know, people who use bots, market makers who use bots through Orca. Um, and uh, like change their fee tier or deposit and withdraw more frequently, um, depending on how they think the market is going to move. So yeah, we we look at these kinds of variables. <laughs> all right, well, um, I've uh, covered all my talking points. So now I await your questions. Oh yeah, I guess uh, I can uh, mention some ideas that our team has been considering. Uh, and these are ideas are not up to us, really. So I'm just going to throw them out there as, as hypotheticals. So one is to do a uh, representative democracy. Uh, specifically for FlareDAO. Because uh, things have been complicated, and uh, as I elaborated earlier, <laughs> and uh, none of the voting methods um, like solves anything perfectly. Uh, there will still be difficulties with each of them. Um, it's just hard to aggregate the opinion of hundreds of people into one binary option. <laughs> so yeah, with a representative democracy, we would elect like a bunch of people who the community respects and trusts and have them vote on stuff. Uh, what's good about this method is basically we can whittle down the voters to the people who are active, the people who actually do the discussions, not these mindless button clickers. I'm not saying everyone who doesn't discuss is a mindless button clicker. I'm sure there are those of you who do read a lot of the stuff in our Discord and think about things carefully and then vote and just prefer to be silent. That is fine. 
but of course, you know, preferably we like the people who um, participate in the discussions um, to further the conversations. Anyways, uh, yeah, if you have a representative de democracy, like we can get rid of all the voting problems because like say you have like, I don't know, 11 people and then uh, they vote on stuff. It gets rid of all the ambiguity. Um, I guess the downside is partially like the difficulty in choosing these people. And then uh, eventually you could envision or you can imagine there being problems where people were like, I do not feel represented. Um, yeah, so like this also would not be a perfect solution. Indeed, I do not think there exists a perfect solution. But this is also an, also an idea to consider. So, and I think someone else has mentioned it before. Like we should just have five people and have them make the decisions type thing. So yeah, this is also a thing to consider for FlareDAO. All right, we have another question. So I'm uh, going to move over there before I mention the other thing. Epromino asks, what is your take on Jupiter V2? I've seen it can split an order into up to three smaller orders. Uh, hold on. Thus making smaller pools with best price to be involved more. Will our pools be adjusted slash optimized to the new Jupiter V2? Um, I, I doubt it. Um, yeah, so it definitely does, can involve more pools. And so in that sense, like it might seem like it's uh, more favorable to like these smaller protocols but i think in the grand scheme of things this is basically irrelevant um to really understand this what you would want to do is uh what's the word segregate our revenue according to trade size so for example you could look at our revenue for trades $1 and less, and then trades under $10 and less, uh, or between $1 and $10, then between $100 and $10, and $1,000 and $100, and like that, and look at how much our revenue comes from each um, range of trade size, trade sizes. And if you do that, I think it'll be probably be pretty clear that the trades less than a dollar make up quite a small portion of our net revenue. Um, they never were a great amount. Um, and the majority would come from, uh, if I had to guess, probably either the $1,000 to $100 or $10,000 dollar to one thousand dollar range um it's kind of like the sweet spot where it's like not too big so that those trades aren't too infrequent but also the trades aren't so small that you need massive amounts of them to build up a bunch of revenue um yeah some of you might have seen the research by croc swap they have some really good research on uh, like it's mostly like Uniswap related. Um, and they might have done some analysis for that. And uh, yeah, you'll see something similar there. It's basically like uh, sort of like a bell curve. It's like there's some middle price around where like the the majority of the revenue comes from and then it like goes uh gradually decreases um on both sides from there yeah so i believe it's probably the same for us and uh yeah i don't think this will really change it like the i think the question is like okay now smaller swaps 
are going to be a bit more optimized than larger swaps because um, smaller swaps have many more pools to make these combinations from. If you're trading like $100,000, all these other small pools can be ignored. So it's like, because they, they barely have liquidity, right? So it's like totally irrelevant. It's never going to factor. It's not going to, it's never going to help you get a better price. If you have 100K, then, you know, it's basically between Lafinity, Orca, Radium, or if you're doing like stables, then uh, like Saber, Mercurial, uh, Open Book, stuff like that. Um, and all the smaller ones, like, yeah, they just don't have enough liquidity, so it doesn't even matter. Uh, shit, I forgot. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my take is that it probably won't matter much. Um, but definitely cool. I mean, like, Jupe V2 is great because uh, now they have, I guess, did they have priority fees? I think they said something about improving that. And, like, I recently saw a uh, post by Orca where they're, like, teasing their new page and then also included some kind of comment where it's, like, with this new thing, our orders will be, or, like, compared to Jupiter, will be 5% more, your trade will be, like, 5% more likely to go through or something. And I think that number, which I asked them how did they get that number, which, of course, they ignored because Orca always ignores me on Twitter. <laughs> but I think that number is probably now inaccurate. It may have been inaccurate before, too. Like, I don't know how they're defining it. But uh, it's probably even less accurate now because now Jupiter will be even more reliable because things are now fit within a single transaction, even when there's all these, like, multi-hops. And that was partially the issue that was causing some trades to fail is like the first trade or the first transaction goes through, but then the second fails. And so the whole thing fails. But if everything's within a single transaction, that can get executed more quickly. So it has a higher chance of not failing. Uh, usually these things, I think, fail because the prices offered by a DEX changes during or before the transaction is able to be processed. So then like the slippage limit is reached, for example, and then uh, so the trade is rejected, the transaction fails. Um, but yeah, now that every basically everything like fits within a single transaction, uh, there's going to be much more failures and they have priority fees, of course. So I mean, uh, like, uh, <laughs> like whatever Orca is trying to do with this new page I forgot the details what exactly it was their new trading page I don't know I think it has very little if any advantage over Jupiter and I mean it definitely has the in my opinion significant disadvantage of guarantee of being guaranteed to offer a worse price um, at best equal but very often worse price so yeah, Jupe V2, let's fucking go. There's just even more reason to trade on Jupiter and even less reason to trade anywhere else. Like, why would you? And uh, yeah, this is only possible because of Solana. Like if you uh, did this on Ethereum, someone mentioned this, but yeah, if you do this on Ethereum, just the computation costs would make it the transaction fee make it larger. And so you have this extra hurdle of the transaction fee that would have to be smaller than the gain you get in the uh, the better price that you're getting from the aggregator. But on Solana, the transaction fees are like nil. So, you know, it's like always better to use Jupiter. Um, yeah, Jupiter for the win. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think we will be making any adjustments or optimizations related to Jupe V2. I don't think it'll be necessary. <clears throat> Welp. Anybody got any more questions today? Oh yeah, I had one more thing I was gonna mention. It wasn't there. 
let's see. Yeah, so another idea, hypothetical again, that I'm throwing out there. Uh, this time for Lefinity DAO is uh, what if we changed the way we use our revenue? Specifically, what if we distributed 100% of revenue? Uh, this would be in contrast to what we do right now, where we distribute 50% of revenue and use 50% for buybacks. So this would have a uh, few different effects, I guess. The Lefinity token would be less supported. So all else being equal, there will be well more or less uh, buy pressure. So price will be statistically more likely to go down than it is right now. On the other hand, the uh, VE Lefinity holders will be receiving double of what they would otherwise receive. So one way to think about that is that it's favoring long-term holders over short-term holders because short-term holders want to sell. And so by doing buybacks, we're supporting the price and therefore enabling them to sell at a relatively higher price. Whereas if you're a long-term holder, well, basically that means you're holding VE Lefinity. So it means you get uh, more revenue. Um, the long-term buybacks do not help long-term holders, at least not immediately. Like it, it, cre it makes price higher than it otherwise would be. So whenever um, the long-term holders do eventually decide to sell, then it will have helped them because price, when they do decide to sell, will be higher than it otherwise would be thanks to the buybacks being done, say, years ago, for example. Um, so like it does help them in that long-term way, but not immediately. If you distribute the revenue, then it benefits them immediately because they receive that that money um yeah so that is a uh change to consider just throwing it out there and uh yeah it's basically all from me <laughs> Any more questions from you guys today? I see uh, Ronnie is hopping between uh, Discord and Twitter. I think I saw you on Discord earlier. Now you're on Twitter. Steven V, I don't think I know you. Shout out to Steven V, the new guy in the uh, the audience. We have our regulars, Ezekiel, Apromino, Smitten, and Dio Force. What's up, guys? We got Snuffkin and Makiko on Twitter. I know I've seen uh, Makiko a few times on Twitter. Retweeting and stuff. Appreciate it. Steven V. <laughs> Infrequent visitor. gifting us with emojis thank you sir <laughs> always enlightening <laughs> nice kind words all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna let a promino type this out oh it is a question let's do it will you update the protocol owned liquidity slash flare owned liquidity balance for this quarter Yes, that is coming uh, at the end of this month, which is uh, days away. I forgot what the last day of uh, March is. But yeah, so like very soon after April begins, we will release the balance sheet update. Everyone's been waiting for this. <laughs> uh, sorry, continuing with your question. With around 4 million TVL, I'd assume we have a lot of undeployed 
protocol owned liquidity and flare owned liquidity. Yeah, probably so. Um, Cause we actually withdrew some liquidity from the Sol USDC V1 pool. And uh, yeah, gradually migrating it to V2, but V2 doesn't need nearly as much liquidity to generate um, even more volume. It's crazy. So yeah, it does mean that we have a lot of undeployed POL slash FOL. Yep, exact figures coming soon. Stay tuned. All right, well, oh, I probably was typing. <laughs> I'll wait for this. And uh, make it the last, I guess. Ah, he says, okay, Durden, thanks for the AMA. Uh, heart, heart flare emoji. <laughs> nice. Yeah, thanks everyone for coming and uh, appreciate the questions as always. Um, let's see. Yeah, I guess that's it. So thanks again. And uh, I will see you guys around in the Discord. Until then, peace.